Welcome to the Surf and Stars Social Club podcast. I'm your host, Celestina. I'm a change coach and astrologer with a special interest in parenting and family dynamics. This is a show about reimagining and re-enchanting relationships with ourselves, with our minds, with others, and with the world. Episode 15 of the Surf and Stars Social Club podcast is here. Today I'm talking with Abigail Craig, who is the founder of No Fear Astrology. Abigail founded No Fear Astrology because she wanted a place for others to be able to learn, understand, and talk about astrology without fear. Let's get into our conversation. I am asking Abigail a lot of questions about an article she wrote. I'll link that article in the show notes. It's a beautiful article about understanding squares in a more creative and helpful way instead of just being afraid of them or seeing them as a problematic aspect. Um, Let's go ahead and dive into the conversation. You wrote a really cool article about squares. Um, We want to talk about that. But before we get into this specific aspect, um, you know, speaking of that quote, I don't know if you want to say the quote again, um, if the quote kind of inspired the name for your business or, but yeah, I just, I want to hear more because you, you have an astrology practice and it's called no fear astrology, which is, and there's this whole premise behind it. So I want to hear more about that. Yeah. So, um, I don't think the quote really inspired my business. Um, I think (laughs) when I was coming up for a name for my business, um, I was (laughs) thinking about, I was like trying to come up with a name and it's a good thing that I didn't just call it like astrological Abby or something. Um, dear astrological Abby. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was thinking. But a lot of people have like their name and then astrology. So I think it's a good thing that I didn't do that route um, because I was like, well, what's one thing that I really hate right now about astrology? So I kind of went about it in a backwards way. And um, I think the thing that I hated the most, um, I'm an admin and a mod in some really big Facebook groups, um, Astrological Buzz and um, Ask Astrologers. And I think that, like, one of the things that I saw the most was people being afraid of retrogrades and the full moon or the new moon, eclipses, um, planets in detriment and fall, and just a bunch of these, like, quote-unquote negative things that we see in the astrological community and that we perceive as negative, um, excuse me, um, and that we see is negative, and I was just tired of it, you know, I'm tired, I'm tired of being tired, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of reaching that point where, um, you know, I have to, why do I have to be afraid of every eclipse, and every Mercury retrograde, and every, you know, whatever else, um, because there's really nothing to fear, and I think that, like, the point of it for me, right, I have been through countless Mercury retrogrades in my lifetime, I'm 24, I discovered astrology around 20-ish. So I haven't been doing it for like super long. But I have been through countless Mercury retrogrades that I never even knew about. And I lived. (laughs) You know, like I'm fine. Um, And so I think that like when people are like, how is this going to affect me? They, they, They think it's very personal. But like 
aspects and transits um, and progressions as a whole can manifest internally as well. They don't just be, they don't just have to be external. So it's internal and external. But um, the quote that I really like is um, from Marie Curie. And it goes, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. And I think that that is such a cool quote and it's such a nice way to approach fear because a seasoned astrologer or anyone who's even been studying astrology for a long time, they're probably not like going to freak out about the moon. Like a, hap- a full moon happens every month, roughly, sometimes twice <laughs> um, with a blue moon. So it's, you know, we're not... Why are people freaking out about the full moon? Just out of curiosity. What's the what's the fear factor there? The wolf moon. Um, yeah, no, that's the latest one that I've heard. Um I don't know. <laughs> Is the short answer. I think that um they just to me, like the moon faces are always to be looked at in aspect to the sun. Mm. So like the full moon is when the moon is opposite the sun. That's that's it. <laughs> like, so to me, the sun is ego and identity. And um, like you could say it's our core. And the moon is our emotional self. Um, and when we look at the opposites of that, um, we feel maybe pulled in one way or the other. And um, that could be why you see people being more emotional on the full moon. Um, but I think that people get very antsy about it. But, like, what about people who were born on the full moon, who have that aspect natally? You know, every full moon, that's their winter <laughs> return. Um, they feel more at home with that, you know? Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that answered your question, but... Um, yeah, no, I guess I was thinking everything I know about full moon in terms of like full moon is a transit, not full moon is a natal aspect. And mm-hmm. um, I think the general like astrological pop consensus is that you release on the full moon and, and you mm-hmm. like manifest on the new moon. Like full mm-hmm. moon is kind of when stuff has come to fruition and it's either worked out or it hasn't, but it's a time to like release and prep for the new moon and for like the newness. Um, so that's why I was like, that doesn't seem horrible or scary. <laughs> like that doesn't seem too bad. No, right. Um, except for I know that a lot of people, again, in pop astrology, will sink to the lunar cycle when they're doing manifestation, whatever that means. Like, um, <laughs> and that's where like the eclipses. All I hear, you know, I mean, everything else about the eclipses, like unstable energy portals, whatever is like, don't manifest um, during, during the eclipse. That's not, that's not a time to be using like the lunar architecture for manifestation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, manifestation and new age spirituality are probably a topic for a different day. Um, I don't share your thoughts. <laughs> Why I, don't subscribe. <laughs> I don't subscribe to them. Um, here's the thing and I think it kind of cuts into 
the heart of it is that I have issues with manifestation and with new age spirituality for a few reasons. One, um, you can't manifest your way out of certain situations. You can't, like, you can't manifest your way out of, like, systemic racism or, you know, OCD or a mental illness. It's just not, it's not a thing that you can do. Um, and I think that that is, like, the primary issue that I have with manifestation. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone properly address those things. Because I think that people, the way that I've seen it used recently, they use it as more of, like, a get-rich-quick mindset. <laughs> Which, I mean, here's the thing. Rags to riches is fine. It happens every day. But, like, there are, you, there are some things that you can't change. And that is just part of life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think that, like, in some ways, New Age spirituality really hinders um, a lot of astrology and a lot of astrological um, thinking. Yeah. Oh, it hinders astrology and a lot of astrological thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear more about that. And I did just want to agree with you. I think... A lot of like, and I'm going to, I'm just going to say new age spirituality and I'm going to include manifestation in that. Um, it, it works until it doesn't. And there's these more like extreme yeah. fringe cases where like, you're talking about abuse. Exactly. You're talking about systems, you know, you're talking about, right. um, and, and at that point, like it breaks down and what do we do with the system? that like doesn't want to look at those um at those cases and incorporate those cases so I agree with you um but yeah let's get back to how does new age spirituality hinder astrology in your opinion um in a few ways um so when I think of New Age spirituality, I think of manifesting, I think of divine feminine, divine masculine, which uh -huh. not that we don't have feminine and masculine concepts in astrology, I don't use them, but they, I think of that, um, I think of, what else? I have a really old, now privated TikTok video about it, um, but it's, I think of those things, and I think that, like, for one, new like the divine masculine, divine feminine. I I was raised Baptist. I am no longer Christian. No offense to the Christian listeners, but um, it's just not for me. But when I think of divine masculine and divine feminine, I see a lot of Christian rhetoric. Um, and I, why does it fall so perfectly into gender roles? You know, what about our divine rage? Why is that masculine? <laughs> you know, um, I think that would be represented by Mars. But that doesn't mean that Mars is like, Mars is instinctual. Mars is emotion. Mars is passion. There's so much polarity and like intermingling of this that like nothing is ever black and white. Um, I also think of, um, besides divine masculine divine feminine i don't really see god as having a gender i just i i, I just can't picture it <laughs> that's more of a personal opinion um 
but let's see something else was on the tip of my tongue but if I remember it I'll I'll shout it out to you but yeah yeah um interesting um there's this app called the pattern I don't know if you've played with it um which is actually a I like her delineations like I'm kind of into that app in some ways but in playing with it what I noticed is you had to assign yourself um a gender from the polarity it was like do you identify as male female or non-binary and what happens when you identify as male or female is that the planets like the gendered planets mars and venus are used for a man in that app venus is used to talk about their like ideal partner or what their love life is going to unfold into and for a woman it's mars and if you identify on that app as non-binary, you just don't get that part of the reading. Like it goes away because it's like gender polarity dependent. So I thought. That kind of makes you want to throw up. <laughs> what? I said that kind of makes me want to throw up. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because I, I honestly go back and forth um, mm -hmm. around this. Like I identify as queer. I I find that my gender is incredibly fluid, like my experience of it and my expression of it. Um, but you know, Aquarius sun, Aries moon, so, and Pisces Mars, like, so there's, um, but I think there is something to, and maybe using masculine and feminine just muddies the waters right off the bat. But I think there is something to this Venus Mars polarity, like this, like this mm. receptivity, this like love of pleasure of softness. And then this like really aggressive go after what you want, like impulse, passion, like this, maybe the best way to think about it is just in terms of like energetic trajectories. There's like the thrusting outward trajectory. And then there's like the inward softening to receive trajectory. But mm. But I do think what has happened is typically people socialize as femme project the thrusting energy out, like onto their partner. And typically people socialized as masculine will project instead of like incorporating into their wholeness. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like everyone in their wholeness has both Venus and Mars in their chart and has both this anima animus energy in themselves and however it expresses can look very differently for each individual. But like, we do have both of those like thrusting out, receiving in energies in each person, in each natal chart. Um, and in some ways it does feel like a polarity because it's like, it's two planets. It's like, it's this very opposite thing out and in, but um, yeah, I, I haven't figured it out for myself. Um, because for me, like my experience of my gender is, is not like, am I this or that? Or like, I don't know, just to go off on a tangent. No, no, I totally understand. Um, I think that mine is typically like a she, they situation. However, I think that my ideal aesthetic is like old, like whiskey grandpa with a mahogany library 
Like I, you know, so I think that like when we confuse aesthetics and gender, like I think that that is like a key issue for me. Um, but also I think that it's really beautiful just going back on like the gender and then the Mars and the Venus thing. I have a friend, um, and granted, I still live in the South, right? Um, but I have a friend who um, is not Christian, they're non-binary, and um, non-binary, more he like they, them, is their, it's their pronouns. And they talk about how, like, when they, like, I find biblically accurate angels to be so fucking scary. Like, I think that they are very freaky <laughs> i i hope i like they're they're very very freaky and um they actually think about it as a source of comfort because the biblically accurate angels make them question you know gender and gender roles um canonically and i think that like that's actually a really heavy source of like inspiration and like love for them is this idea of the biblically accurate angel with a gajillion eyes and wings and <laughs> yeah so the biblically accurate angel just like the description of that is like basically like a terrifying apparition where like it's, it's like not even super like it doesn't look human right it looks like like you said there's like many sets of wings many sets of eyes like it's it's this bonkers thing terrifying <laughs> again like if I guess if you just like read the description and translate it literally into an image so there's that whole filter as well like how literally are we supposed to be mapping this onto like the reality that we know but right right and I think that like on the Venus Mars spectrum if you look at the signs the Venus and Mars rule right they are always opposite each other but they are also always leaning into one another. Wait a second. So Aries, Libra, yes. And then Taurus, Scorpio. Yes, I love that. I'd never thought about yeah. that before. Yeah. So we have this polarity, right? They're opposites. But like, for example, in Aries and Taurus case, right? We have this go-getter attitude. We have an idea. We have a plan. We want to go get it done. And then we move into Taurus. And Taurus is like, okay, I like that idea. How can we make it happen? How? What's the plan here? How are we going to bring this into fruition? And then with Libra and Scorpio, Libra is, and again, these are just like one-off interpretations, right? There are many, um, especially if like you dive deep into your chart and you think about how you experience it. Um, that is what matters to you, right? Um, but we have like Libra represents equality. And, like, how can we bring that out and make that a real reality? But Scorpio, the next sign, pushes us into discovering what's getting in our way of equality. What is hindering us from bringing this out? Um, what do we need to dive into? What problem do we need to fix and dissect and heal from in order to have this idyllic world? You know? An ideally connection. Yeah. So the aspect that you're talking about when you're talking about these adjacent signs is actually the semi-sextile, which mm -hmm. is the verso of the queen kunks. And I am like low-key obsessed with the queen kunks and the semi-sextile. 
Um, and I've been thinking about that a lot, how like how the adjacent signs, um, cause on the one hand, it feels like they're very much like a counter argument or a pushback to the previous sign. Like there's a lot of like, um, you know, from one to the next, they feel very different and very distinct, but also there's a way in which there's this linear narrative where like the sign that precedes a sign is like resourcing and necessary for that next sign um, and exactly. creates the foundation. So the semi-sextile is curious to me because in some ways it's very like, I deliberately want to distance myself from you. Like I deliberately want to be the opposite of what came before me. It's kind of like the child rebelling against the parent energy. <laughs> <laughs> and on the other hand, there's there's this component of like this sign absolutely couldn't exist without the sign that came before it. So it's a fascinating relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's like you've probably seen the meme somewhere. It's like the goth girl who's friends with like the really preppy one. Like that's me and my sister. Um, you know, but they get along spectacularly. Or they don't. <laughs> it's one or the other. And uh, that's that's a very blatant gendered um joke. But like um or like the joke about how like one friend always looks like the teenage daughter and the other one always looks like her grumpy mom. <laughs> okay. Um but I just think that it is yeah, so maybe we shouldn't include those. I don't know. Those are bad jokes. Um I see them on TikTok all the time though. Um, um I think it's enough that, of a caveat to like, so where people don't, they're not like, oh, Abby actually thinks these are hilarious no. and buys it them, so. God, no, that's not what I, no, not what I believe. I, I think that's, I think you made that clear, so. Not very Aquarian of me. I edit this more than I have to. <laughs> right, um, but I think that that is like, what is so interesting about the square from a major's aspect point of view right is that with the time we have um we have all of the same elements going on right we just have different modes of expression and then with the conjunction we have the same sign the same element trying trying <laughs> same element different mode yes yes we find different modality just for people who are following along with astrology yes. yeah sorry <laughs> and then with the conjunction we have a blending we have it's in the same sign it's like you meet this person and it's like oh my god you get it i don't know how you get it but you get it it's like we're the same person we're cut from the same cloth and a trine is more like like i can vibe with you you know like you get it you get it I don't know how we get it but we get it right um and then the opposition is so oppositions are really interesting in the fact that like from an elemental standpoint um earth will always be opposite water and air will always be opposite fire mm -hmm. so I think that that is so interesting from a polarity like perspective because polarity like air always like needs to fuel fire and fire needs air to survive and we have groundwater and well water and water existing deep below the earth and whole vast seas of water and then we have earth by itself and in water so each of these elements 
are what we would think of as opposites, but they also need each other to survive. And I think that, like, again, from a major aspect point of view, that's really interesting in the sextile, because the sextile is also always between earth and water and fire and air, because it shows us how the opposition can come together and how we can learn from it. So um, that's what I think is really interesting about the opposition and the sextile, because it's kind of like two sides of the same coin from an elemental standpoint. But when we look at the square, it's completely different. You are quite literally thrown out of your element. It's the only major aspect in which you are like completely turned on your head. And water all of a sudden. Perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting too, because not to interrupt you, but I also, so like when we're talking, when we're talking about aspects and when we're talking about these signs, each sign has these characteristics and you've touched on two of them, the element. And so just to recap, the elements are air, fire, mm -hmm. earth, water. The second characteristic that we talk about is the mode or the modality. And there's three of those. And those are cardinal, fixed, and mutable. And mm -hmm. then the third, um, that people maybe talk about less, but it's the polarity, it's the yin or the yang, or the mm. positive or the negative, or however you want to talk about it. Um, and I think it's really interesting, and you're doing it, you're doing it as you're describing these aspects. When you're looking at an aspect, seeing where, how each of those three characteristics is lining up because I think that can give you valuable information about what the aspect is trying to do or like what it symbolizes. And I think what's what's interesting is I want to go back to the opposition in the sextile and I want to get your thoughts yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. So there's three characteristics, right? There's element, there's mode, and there's polarity. Mm -hmm. With the opposition, your mode is the same. Um is that right? Yeah. So like Aries, Libra, they're both cardinal. Mm -hmm. um, your element is different, but not super different. Um, and then your polarity is the same, right? Both yang. Libra and Aries are both yang. Um, with the sextile, you have different elements, different mode Card yeah so Aries um, Gemini so you have cardinal mutable so you have different mode and then you have mm -hmm. um you have same polarity so yang and yang so what's interesting is that the sextile is actually more different by characteristic than the opposition because in the opposition mm -hmm. you had the only thing that's different is the element. The polarity and the mode are both the same. In the sextile, the element is different, the mode is different, and the polarity is the same. So it's interesting just in terms of like how different these two signs are and thinking about how the opposition is technically a challenging aspect and the sextile is technically an easeful aspect where the two signs in the sextile actually have less in common than the two signs in the opposition. And I've always found that really interesting. What do you mean by the element is different? 
for the what the elements are different. They're different from like from I'm the saying just the element differs. Like it's not fire and fire, air and air. It's, uh, it's okay. with the sextile, like it's it'll always so just looking at the like the the first sextile, it's Aries Gemini. So it'll it's mm. fire, air. So the element is different. There mm. it's not that trine relationship of where like we we have the same element. We have that same elemental energy. Yeah. 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 No. Um, and I think that that is so intriguing because we have, um, for the opposition, like I said, um, fire is always opposite air, but in the sextile air is always sextile fire and fire is always sextile air. So it's really, I think oppositions make you wake up a little more and they're like, Hey, pay attention. (laughs) And sextiles are more like, they show you how you can, they show you what you lack and also what you can grow and what you can do to grow. Um, Perhaps in a way that is like a little more subtle. Like for example, I have a sextile between Capricorn and Pisces. Um, Pisces needs to learn to keep a planner and Capricorn needs to learn to loosen up a little bit. And I say that as someone with planets in both, you know, so like there are these things that like we need to learn in ourselves that I think the sextile shows us. Um, um, But I also think that like that is like the really interesting thing about the square because all of a sudden water has to deal with fire. And water's never had to deal with fire before. <laughs> and water has to deal with air. And it has also never done that either in any of the other major aspects. Um, so from like an elemental perspective or a sign perspective, let's take like Aries and Cancer, for example. What does what do they have in common and what do they not? So when I think of Aries, I think of like gung-ho, let's do this me I am out in the world I am here I am proud I am loud I am awesome and when I think of cancer I think of very passive and I think of not mellow I think a cancer would disagree with me on that um they would be like I'm not mellow whatsoever which is fair um but I think of also like nurturing and I know that cancers are probably tired of that definition as well but when we look at the square between Aries and cancer I think of a bunch of things off the top of my head. I think of, you know, traditionally, how am I different from my family and how can I be, how can I break out of those familiar habits and how can I create a place that I belong, you know, whether through found family or in my like biological family unit, how can I nurture myself to be the best person that I can be? How can I go easy on myself and love myself? And also, like, how can I um, nurture my relationships with others? You know, I think a lot of questions come up in that particular square, in all squares, because the elements are forced to have to address things that they never would have had to address before. You know? This idea of the square as an aspect that generates like questions or like mm-hmm. that generates these juxtapositions that cause us to even create like phrases where 
two words come together, you know, where like warrior mm-hmm. self-love, like, or like self-love warrior, what is like, that's such an interesting juxtaposition of words to play with. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's really beautiful. And I think that's a really generative way. Like if someone is working with their own chart to just look at a square and be like, what questions come up? What questions are coming up based on like the two planets that are in this, by the way, square at 90 degree, um, 90 degree geometrical relationship. And like what questions mm-hmm. come up when I think about like the signs um, that are involved in this square. So I really love that. Um, and I can see you bringing us back to the topic at hand, which is what we were supposed to talk about initially, your article. So, okay. So I want to pull back a little bit. I want to talk about when people see a lot of squares in their chart. Um, speaking of no fear astrology, like what is the fear that traditionally comes up? Ooh, the square? Um, so I'm going to use one for my own chart, um, if you don't mind. I love um, personal I... examples. Tell <laughs> us a story. Tell us an anecdote. Yeah, so I have um, a square with my son and Pluto. And like the audience is probably going, ooh, like this is a little hard. But like to this day, like I don't think I've ever heard an accurate representation of sun square Pluto or a sun Pluto aspect. I just don't think I have because when I was starting out in astrology and learning astrology, um, imagine my surprise when I learned that I'm power obsessed and power hungry and a tyrant and um, I'm insecure and, you know, just all of these terrible things, you know, that come that we slap on Pluto. And that's something that I, I think I also want to cover a little bit more and I'll cover in a later article is different definitions and different ways that Pluto can be expressed. Um, but like, here's the thing. If you would not say it to your mom, why would you put it in an astrology article? Like, I, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Because if we use astrology as a tool for, like, self-discovery and self-help, if you tell people, oh, like, you're power-obsessed and, like, you get obsessive in your relationships and... I can't think of what else Pluto means off the top of my head, but like you feel the need to constantly change yourself and like, you know, all of these like horrible, terrible things that like, why would you say that to someone, you know? Yeah. Um, um, that really damages a person's psyche and their self-esteem. And I don't think that a lot of astrologers, like I think that they try, but like, I don't think they quite know the effect of the words that they're saying. Um, especially when they speak about like Pluto's sun aspects you know um I had a client just last night and she has sun conjunct Pluto and it's in Libra and I don't I think that is such a beautiful thing you know and it's just I think it's a damn shame that we have not yet come to understand Pluto but I think that like speaking of polarity and I don't mean to talk on for too long. So I kind of don't want to leave this hanging. So that's the traditional interpretation of Pluto. What would like, how do you understand your son Pluto and with your client? How, you know, how did you interpret that aspect for her where the Pluto felt again, fruitful, generative, helpful? Yeah. So for me, like, and that client did have a lot of like Scorpio 
placement. So I hope that she doesn't mind me talking about this because I don't want to dismiss her or her experiences, right? Um, but I think that like, <laughs> speaking of polarity within the signs, there's also polarity within the element, the, the, not the elements, the planets. Um, so as we all know, Venus can indicate love and relationships. Sure thing, absolutely. But it can also signify a breakup. You know, um, Mars is aggression, but it is also passion. You know, Pluto to me is obsession, but the inherent lesson in obsession is learning to let go. Pluto is change, but I don't think that the opposite of change is stagnancy. I think that it is the willingness to accept what is. So I don't mean to preach too much on about that, um, but... I, my son Pluto square for me my son is in Pisces my Pluto is in Sagittarius it's in a t-square with my nodes so my north node in Virgo my south node is in Pisces conjunct my son um and Pluto is the focal point which means that it is like the breaking off point between mm -hmm. um the two squares so Pluto is square both the north node and my son and my south node so that creates a lot of tension on Pluto. And for me and Sash, um, and I think the T-squares to some extent have to be activated. And mine was activated, I believe. I may be wrong. In like 10th grade. And I had a premonition. I was sitting in the middle of English class and I just had this feeling that something was wrong. I had a feeling that like, imminent doom was here and it was not anxiety I knew something was wrong and I think that like a lot of people ask that question how do I tell the difference between my anxiety and my intuition your intuition is because you know you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you know you know something's wrong you may not know what but you know something's wrong and your anxiety is because you were worried about a certain outcome so you're expecting something to happen so anxiety is because you don't know but are like thinking about something and intuitions because you know um but just on that note um sorry like just to get to the heart of the story um we ended up having a bomb threat not 15 minutes later um at that point I'd already emailed my mom and was like hey I love you you know um and we the fastest way to get out of the building the principal decided was just to pull the fire alarm so that everyone got out and I did not find that out until like an hour later and I was like ah that's why I felt like shit <laughs> um but ever since then I have just kind of been plagued by like ideas of fate and destiny and you know where does that fall into astrology I'm constantly questioning astrology even as an astrologer and I think that like if you are learning from and if you are with a mentor in astrology who does not push you to question things, to question the way that they teach things, to question the way that, like, things are, leave, please. Like, get a refund. Like, <laughs> question them. Question the absolute hell out of them. Get to the bottom of the reasoning because that is why I'm so upset with the square. Because I felt like I paid for classes. I paid to have this information and I kept seeing the same definitions again and again like you know it's I kept seeing oh it's tension it's conflict it's action it's ambition it's opportunities but like that's such 
a vague cop-out to me. And I don't mean to be a little harsh on that, but like, it really makes me angry. <laughs> um, and I guess that kind of goes back to the whole you no know, thing is like, I'm going to really examine this and I'm going to get to the bottom of it because no one can give that answer to me. So I might as well get my own definition and give it to someone else, you know? That is actually Um, very Sun, square Pluto in Sag thing to say. Pluto in Sag is like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I want to make sure it's right. If it needs redefining, I will absolutely like scrub. Um, but we want to make sure we have like what is actually true. It's very funny. yeah yeah and then you have that square the north node in Virgo and it's like how can I bring this out into the world and present it in a much better and healing way I want to fix it yeah fix it yeah 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 exactly and I think that like and it just kind of hit me one day it was like oh like the t-square and the square itself presents us with a choice all of astrology does but I also think that Pluto at its heart is like a few things um I think it is all the traditional definitions right of course like I'm not reinventing the wheel but I think that it is also truth choice grief death potentially possibly right Definitely. um and also like the ability to hope And I know that that's kind of whack. I understand some people are going to disagree with me. That is your Pluto and Sag, honey. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So like, it's, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of whack, but like, that is how I see it. And um, this is coming from someone who has been trained. I've been trained in Hellenistic astrology. It's not for me. Um, I've also been trained in evolutionary astrology. And while I think that it is ultimately not for me as well, I like the way that astrology is presented more and here's the thing with all aspects in astrology it is not the good or the bad that is the issue it is how you present it to people i'm going to link this article in the show notes if people want to read it um but It's a lovely read. I, I do encourage everyone to go read it. It's really beautiful. And I just pulled some quotes out from the article that I kind of wanted you to say a little bit more about. So the first quote, you write, the square is how we make things work, not just the work itself. Mm -hmm. I was hoping you could say more about the square being both. Like it in some ways has something to say about the actual work. but maybe it also has something to say about kind of how you approach the work. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. So like I said, with a lot of things, with most things in astrology, we, the square presents us with a choice. Have you ever heard the phrase, it is what it is? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, my therapist, uh, way back when I was still in therapy, um, she, said you know the phrase it is what it is I was like yeah of course she was like I never quite liked that I felt it took your power away so she was like so now I use the phrase it is what it is what are you going to do about it mm -hmm. and I think that that is so integral to the square and the work that you do you know I see the t-square is more of like a mission you know something that you were driven that you 
inherently kind of have a problem with that kind of irks you a little bit and you're driven to try to solve it right and perhaps that's just my Pluto T-square coming out but um I um I think that like the square is at its core like besides how we make things work not just the work itself um I think that we present squares in a very action-oriented way but like a square for example involving mercury would involve more of the mind so like we would assume or we would take that to be more um like internal work more like okay what's the issue that i have here and how can i go about fixing it so in that case i would look towards the sign um the sign um like again we go back to the aries cancer example to be like okay so I have all of these like things that kind of irk me like you know I don't think that everyone 100% has like no issue with their family <laughs> you know um just just as a blatant statement <laughs> um but I think that like that square shows us like if we like maybe we're going no contact maybe we don't like our family maybe that's not for us but how can we create a place that we love and we belong you know? Um, so I think that, like, the squares also drive us to, like, find creative solutions to our problems <laughs> because we are faced with elements that we don't know or understand quite. Like, we do because we have planets in both of those signs, but we are unsure of how to integrate them. Um, and some would say, especially in the case of the T-square, that you would look towards the opposing element that does not have a planet in it. I think that this is true and false, um, both yes and no, because I think that like, I think that sometimes that opposing element is the key, but I also think that like the square itself, itself also shows us the solution, you know? And I think that like that solution becomes evident the more life that we live. But um, yeah, I, I think that it is, problem and the solution all in one and I think I might have a little bit of a tough time explaining that um but I think that like how are the individual is driven to solve it like I hate to say like act on instinct that's very Mars of me mm. but like our guts are rarely wrong you know um so yeah um does that help I'm afraid I didn't make much sense with that but no well I love that you referenced like our gut slash our inner intelligence like mm -hmm. slash that like um I do think people get separated from their own intuition or their own even like self-trust like they will hear that ping of intuition but they will dismiss it or question it or like so I, I love that you're pointing people in that direction um, I was just thinking when you were talking, if I could give like an example from my chart about the square being both the problem and the solution. And the one that I kind of came to mind, um, I have a moon, moon mercury square. Um, so what happens, what happens the way that I experience this placement moon mercury square mm -hmm. is like, when I am having a challenging emotion or something is 
like destabilizing me or stressing me. I like, it really feels like I need to fix it. And it feels like I need to fix it through like rumination. Like I just can't let it go. I'm like thinking about Mm it. I'm like imagining like redoing a dialogue or like, I'm, you know, like catastrophizing my feelings or like, yeah, I just, this very classic, like you just, you think about your feelings and what happens And this is neuroscience. What happens is when you have an emotion, it runs its course in 90 seconds or less, unless something reactivates it. So what happens with someone who has a moon mercury square is you are, by thinking about that emotion or by thinking about the situation that created that emotion, you're, you're just re-upping the emotion. Like you won't just let it go and run its course. You're like recirculating it. And it's great if it's a positive emotion, but usually people do this with a negative emotion. So you're, you're just keeping yourself, like you're looping yourself in that state. Um, but so that's the problem. That's the way to me that aspect expresses as a problem Um, Mm -hmm. because it ends up taking up a lot of my brain space and it ends up being this like looping, like always thinking about how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Mercury, Moon, Mercury is also about like problem solving and analysis. And um, in this kind of Virgo, both Virgo and Gemini, just like gathering information, like trying, you know, trying to, trying to analyze a solution. And so I think because like I notice myself doing this, I'm also constantly on the lookout for, and I think that's why I got into this line of work where, you know, like I'm coaching, I'm trying to help people. It's like, it can be a therapeutic container. It can be a very like process and um, solution oriented container. I'm always trying stuff on, like, what does this technique work? Like, will this help? Speaking of a choice, a choice around that, like I can choose whether I want to ruminate or I can use one of my techniques to be like, okay, enough. Like we need to, we need to move on. (laughs) So um, that would be my kind of long story about how the square is both the problem and the solution. No, I think that's beautiful. When I think of like the moon Mercury square, and this is just like, again, off the top of my head interpretation, I think of like expression. I think of like, how do you express your emotions? Because at some point, like you mentioned that loop squares, squares are like definitely loopy. Like you think about them all the time and they, they definitely nag you and kind of drag you down. But like at some point, two things, like you have to set aside what your, your problem and you have to be like, I don't not, this is not worth worrying about right now. Like I have other things to think about. It's kind of like when you call a friend and you're like, hey, I have this problem. I want to talk about it. And they're like, oh, okay. But also here's my day today. And just like talking with them and talking about their day and like having that outlet um, gets your mind off of what you're going through. So it's this like need to express and like need to express this emotion that I think is like also really beautiful. And I think there are a lot of ways that that can manifest. It could be like, through a hobby, it could be through talking to a friend, it could be through art, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I think that that's a beautiful placement. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it, I think it's a good one for, 
yeah, I think it's a good one for artists um, because there mm -hmm. is this like impulse to communicate emotion or to like analyze emotion or to mm -hmm. evoke emotion or yeah, there's a, it's, it's not horrible. Um, okay, cool. So let me go back to my questions. Mm. I think we covered this. You tell me if there's anything you want to add. Um, going back to the square, does the square talk about the actual what of the problem and also the how of resolving a problem? And I think that is basically what we said when we said the square is both the problem and the solution. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that like the only thing I would add to that is to like look towards the signs. Um, I think that the signs, the planets involved, the modes, whatever, um, all give us context clues. I also think that like, just as a side note, this has also been something that's like been ruminating in my head about squares is that each of the squares um so like cardinal fixed mutable each have different themes that they tackle so like for example the mutable ones cover philosophy they cover headspace they cover like applying that philosophy and your beliefs in real life um the cardinal and the um fixed ones cover different themes you know and it's up to you to try to dissect like how do those themes play out in my life um, and how do I, um, resolve them and make them work together? Okay. So let's run through them. I'm curious about this. So mutable is like themes of like philosophy of, um, use it's more mental, right? It's kind of more like worldview ideas. Is that, what do we, what do you want to say? I, I kind of want to run through the, the, themes associated with each of the modalities so mutable fixed and cardinal just um, for class, we don't have to get super into yeah, it yeah, yeah yeah so i'm trying to find a resource or not even a resource just so i have like my head screwed on straight <laughs> so um <laughs> so for example let's take um the aries cancer libra and capricorn um modality for right now okay cardinal um, cardinal yeah so that is that covers to me public spaces um and like interpersonal relationships more so than like anything else to me because we have the aries and the um the aries and the um like cancer square and then we also have like the libra and the cancer square so like that is creating harmony within the family and within our interpersonal relationships. Um, and we can create that harmony through nurture, you know, or even like the Libra and the um, Capricorn square. That's like, in order to get to a point where like, we're kind of like, okay with each other, that takes work. That is not easy um and it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of work that's like sometimes we just don't want to do and we want to take a break from um and that's okay too so for me those cover interpersonal relationships because we have aries which is the self right traditionally cancer the family libra equality in our relationships and then capricorn which is work 
Um, now I think it's really interesting because I think that like the Cancer Capricorn polarity, like we think of like Capricorn and like if we're associating it with the 10th house as very public, right? And then we think of family as very private. And while I think there's a lot of things that can go on behind closed doors with a family, I also think that family is public because I think that everybody knows who your family is, right? Or they know, like, especially like, I'm in a small town, <laughs> you know, so that's where that perspective is coming from. Um, but like, you could probably look at a family right now and like tell the black sheep, you know, or you could, and that would be like an Aries thing. Um, or even like a Capricorn thing. When I trained in evolutionary astrology, it was taught like the Zodiac wasn't taught like as 12 signs. It was taught as six polarities. Um, mm. And I think that's a really just immediately deeper way of learning about each sign is as part of a polarity. Um, yeah. So I could talk all day about Cancer Capricorn and how, um, how there's a lot there when you start looking at like both yeah yeah so and I think that that is like so interesting in that particular theme of the cardinal signs is like just interpersonal relationships very public very out there for everyone to see but then when we not to move on to the fixed because yes I think that would be really cool um but like with the fixed I think of structure <laughs> um, and I know that that's very like Taurus sounding but like when I think of like the Taurus and Scorpio I guess I'm leaning a little heavy on like the water earth polarity because that's what I have the most of in my chart um, when I think of like Taurus Scorpio I think of like you know Taurus is like to me to me and this is just a one-off right interpretation Taurus is like the sh I don't want to say shallow, but it's the surface. It's the surface of like a society. Um, traditionally associated with the second house, it's money, it's values, everything's good, fine, and dandy, right? And then Scorpio says, actually, <laughs> there might not be. <laughs> and you have to dive into um, with Scorpio because it's, it's like typically associated with the eighth house. And the eighth house is like debt, it's like financial systems, inheritance, um, you know, transformation, rebirth, death, sex, whatever. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot going on in the eighth house. But I think that like Scorpio is like, actually, I have an issue with this, you know, like what about price gouging? What about, what about um, like all of like it, it, Scorpio is everything underneath the surface that you can't quite see and that it kind of exposes itself in little cracks over time. Um, and I think that that's like an interesting side note about the eighth house is like, you know, people really hate it and they really fear it. But like, I was just thinking about that this morning and it's like the eighth house to some extent is like, what do we owe to ourselves? You know, I know that we think of that whole hemisphere above the like seventh and first houses is like public but like to me it's like okay the eighth house is like well I mine is in Gemini it's like I owe it to myself to like be more social <laughs> you know um and to have more interpersonal connections and relationships because if I don't I will go crazy you know so it's like and what do we owe to others like I owe it to others to be like a good friend 
you know, and to like be there for them um, in times of like crisis and like joy, you know? So that is that um, particular theme for me. And I think that like the Leo, I feel like we're talking more about polarity than squares. I'm so sorry, but like the, um, the Leo and Aquarius polarity is really interesting because it's like, how do I fit in at, like into society? And also how do I stand out? Yeah. And how can one person influence the whole, you know, and how can the whole influence one person? So that's all I have to say about that. So that one's more structured to me. It's more structure focused and like possibly even government focused. And then for the mutables, I think of like, that is philosophy. That is like way up there, pie in the sky. And then how do we bring that down to earth? And how do we apply that through structure? through our interpersonal relationships, you know? So, and that's shown as like how all of the aspects work together and collide and intersect, but yeah. Interesting. Um, I was making some notes as you were talking. Hmm. I do, um, and I love this because just a personal aside here, I have, I was spending a lot of time in like the astrology world and like thinking about astrology ideas. And then um, I had a personal event. Like I, I had this breakup that I was both expecting and not expecting. Um, it mm. was, um, it was a year, it happened under like a Uranus transit to my Venus. Um, mm. So there was like, something very like shocking about it that was really destabilizing and it really shunted me off of this like astrology track into more of um like a psychology coaching and that's kind of where my reading and my philosophizing went so I haven't been in the astrology space since that happened and that was last fall um so it's really fun to be like oh like sparking up astrology ideas and one of the things that came to me when you were talking about these different squares and like the different modalities when we were talking about cardinal which is Aries Cancer Libra Capricorn I do love that idea where it has so much to do with relationships and mm -hmm. how we show up the way that my brain kind of translated it is how we show up in these different networks and the family is like one kind of network where we're a node um society is one kind of network capricorn where we're a node and then this you know like two-person dynamic is one kind of a network where we're a node so i love this to me i was just like oh this is about like orienting ourselves within a network to where like we're it's a it's a fit like it's mm. not there's not like any chafing like we are there's space for us there's space for what we bring but we also there's this understanding of letting other people exist in their uniqueness and in their unique medicine and like in what they bring and like just creating like um yeah I guess it's funny because up until this conversation, I always thought of Gemini as kind of the sign of like networks and nodes and like, um, and then what I was thinking about fixed is, I love what you said about it. Um, I, to me fixed, and I think I'm not the only astrologer that thinks about the fixed signs in this way. 
or the mm -hmm. fixed modality in this way, but it's the modality of like manifestation of like actually like pushing something into material existence. And especially when you started talking about Taurus Scorpio, um, I, I think what it comes down to for me is those four signs all have something to say about resource and like what is available to mm. resource in order to create the thing that you're pushing into material reality. Um, so there's a lot there about like resourcing yourself, Taurus Leo, but also like what resources you can get from others like Scorpio Aquarius, and then how you can take the resources and be creative with them, Leo to to create a thing that like may or may not be helpful for society aquarius um mm. but yeah to me there's i think looking at a fixed square looking at a fixed sign a fun question because who doesn't want more resources is <laughs> like what can i resource here like what are the hidden resources what can i resource from myself like what resources are already available to me that i'm taking for granted mm. um and for mutables, I'll be honest, that mutable is the modality that is like the weirdest to me, like that I <laughs> to And I think, I mean, I'm very cardinal fixed. I don't have a lot of mutable energy. So that's obviously one reason why that could be. But um, the thing that came to me when you were talking is like, to me, mutable is this, is this idea of like possibility or like, magic or like what's not quite there yet or just like the audacity to like reach into another timeline or like the audacity to reach into another like world and just you know because like Pisces Gemini there's like all this like otherworldly like magician kind of energy but then Virgo is very much like you know it's an earth sign it's very much like using that pulling it in like concretizing it instrumentalizing it um, and I think Sag is also like very magical. It's like, I can dream a dream. <laughs> and um, so that's that's what I have there. Sorry, not to talk on and on and on. Um, no, but it's just, it's it's so fun for me to like, be like, you inspired me to have a thought of my own and I wanna share it. So, um, okay, but let's get back to your beautiful article. I'm gonna mm -hmm. read the next quote, unless is there anything that you wanted to kind of rejoin um, after? I have like one side note um, or two. Let's hear it. Um, just real quick. I think that like the beautiful thing that I think that perhaps a lot of people get wrong or maybe they don't. Maybe this is a common theme. I don't know. About the Scorpio-Taurus axis is the idea of beauty. Because let me tell you, no artist create like ever created art because they were feeling like hunky-dory about themselves right? Um, art, like, fundamentally, just as a burnt-out artist who is no longer doing art, um, art comes from pain. And I think that that's a really beautiful way of, like, how Taurus and Scorpio work together. Is like, oh my god, I feel like shit. And it's like, oh, what am I gonna do about it? It's like, I'm gonna make something beautiful out of it. And I think that that is, like, not to wash over pain. That's not what I'm trying to do. Um, but I think that that is, like, part of like the crux of the axis that I find so so cool so so beautiful and um so full of like wonder and joy um and then like a side note for like <laughs> I, it got me thinking about like 
what you said about um like Sagittarius being full of wonder um I was I fell down a rabbit hole of like looking at famous authors charts um the other day like literally yesterday and a bunch of them have like Mercury Neptune aspects of course but a lot of them also have Mercury and Sag so and I think that that is so interesting from a rulership standpoint because we think of Sagittarius as like you know in detriment in, in detriment yeah no it's in fall it's in fall Oh, um and it's it's either way well, because Mercury is in detriment, or is Mercury, no, sorry, is Mercury in fall in Pisces and in detriment in Sag? no it's it's because it's a weird axis um so mercury and pisces Fall is in fall and detriment <laughs> so i think that like sag is just fall actually um because you only have the rulers of that axis being mercury and jupiter traditionally um and while i'm not sure that i totally agree with it and i want to play around more on rulerships um Um, I think it's really interesting to note that, like, so many famous authors have, like, not only the Mercury-Neptune aspect, which is traditionally, like, they can dream up things that other people can't and express things that other people can't see, but, like, they can also, um, like, express it in such a way that it takes the reader or, like, the viewer uh, along with them. You know, and I think that, like, when we think about things, like, in rulership, such as detriment and fall, like, it's really important to note that it's not, like, it's not a bad thing. It is just another expression of the polarity, you know? So it's, I don't even think it's, like, I can't even see it as being thrust into a sign that it's unfamiliar with. Right. I just see it as another form of expression because it is opposite of the sign that it rules. So it's in another extreme. Right. And I say that as Mercury and detriment and fall. So like maybe that doesn't make any sense. But like, hey, I hope that it does. And I hope that like for someone out there, that makes them feel a little bit better. <laughs> because that's another thing. Like, what am I supposed to tell a client? Oh, your Mercury's in detriment. Like, that is like If I knew nothing about astrology, um, I know that detriment means bad, <laughs> you know? It is not a happy word. <laughs> so, um, you know, even that it's just like flipping the narrative on what we've been taught and like questioning what we've been taught that I think is just like so important to me. But um, yes, yeah, so moving That on. <laughs> is like, I think that's one of the things where humanistic slash psychological astrology really differentiates itself from traditional astrology. It, it doesn't, it doesn't use those words or designations or appellations or labels in humanistic and psychological astrology. You will not find people saying you have, you know, planet in detriment, fall, exaltation, whatever. I think my mentor kind of uses the word is more comfortable with this energy or is more comfortable or less comfortable in this sign based on the intrinsic characteristics of that planet. But um, yeah, so I, I really quickly Googled it. So Mer Mercury is in both fall and detriment in Pisces and it is in detriment only in Sag. Um, you know, but to, I actually, speaking of squares and I actually think 
a planet in a sign that's unfamiliar or uncomfortable to it has a lot of the same energy and potential as a square. It has to be curious. It has to be scrappy. It has to be creative. You know, it has to really marshal its resources. It has to think outside of the box. But what ends up happening is that pulls the best out of it. And that gives us something that's like remarkable. Um, if, but in, I mean, I think I mentioned this to you, but I mentioned this all the time. One of my most beloved teachers, Richard Eideman, who um, unfortunately has passed, but he did a, a little like research project where he looked up the charts of a bunch of famous people. And the moon sign that was the most common was moon in detriment. It was moon in Capricorn. And the sun sign that was the most common out of these famous accomplished people who had done something with their lives, who like by society standards had succeeded beyond just like, the mediocre standard, the sun sign that was the most, um, the most popular or the most, the most was Aquarius and which is sun in detriment. So there's so much. And I also think too, like Mercury is in its fall in Pisces, but some of the most beautiful speakers and writers I know have Mercury in Pisces. And speaking of Mercury and Sagittarius, um, you know, Robert Hand, a very famous and very prolific astrologer has Mercury in Sagittarius. And like one of the benefits is that you can just talk and think for fucking ever. Like you can be prolific as fuck with Mercury and Sagittarius. <laughs> like there is just no stop in the flow. Um, which is great if you want to be a writer, which is great if you want to be, you know, a thought leader or an ideator. So um, mm. I, I would honestly, like, if I was going to do anything and take a stand, I would take it in the opposite direction. I would say, like, if you have a planet that's in detriment or fall, you are fucking lucky. Like something really cool can happen there. It is. It is. Yeah. And I, I think I was looking at I think so my favorite author's wikipedia page is fucked up but um it's because one at one point it says her birthday is like december 22nd and at the other point it says it's december 11th mm. so who knows what day her birthday is but either way mercury is still in retrograde i think one of them is stationary direct and the other is um in retrograde so but like that the stationary direct is still like part of a larger retrograde cycle right um and like some people say it can make it more powerful but that's besides the point her mercury in both charts is still in sag um and it's she takes you to these like awesome amazing wonderful worlds who is um, it? Robert, huh who is it laney taylor okay just in case yeah. I'm curious. yeah i love i love her work um she does a lot of fiction um, so <laughs> she's, she's just fantastic. And I think that like some of her work has really helped me mentally. Um, like for example, I have a lot of Pisces and I'm sure people going through like Neptune transits or like just in general in life right now are feeling a little lost. And I think that like, they don't know which direction to turn and they don't know where to go. And I'm reading this book and I'm feeling lost. I'm feeling like I can never accomplish my dream. And so I'm reading this book. It's called Strange the Dreamer. And it's about this boy who ends up in a library, right? Working as a scribe in this library. And he has this dream of going to this lost city 
that no one can remember the name of. And it's like his, his life's goal. Like he loves it and he knows that he will probably never be able to go. So all he does is he like reads the like ancient texts that no one cares about down in the basement. But his mentor at one point looks at him and he's like, you know, the dream chooses the dreamer, not the other way around. And I think that that is so helpful and such a good mindset to have because I feel like people feel the need to be on all the time. And like, I need to be doing something. I don't have a dream. Oh my God, what am I doing? You know, what are people going to think? Um, I need a goal in life, but like, it's okay. It's okay to be calm. Like sometimes the dream finds you, you know, you don't have to be on all the time. And I think that that's a really, really beautiful metaphor. Um, but like speaking of other authors, I know Robert Frost has his Mercury in Pisces. And I think that it's also in retrograde. You know, people love his work. So I think that it's just like, um, and even then, not taking into account like anything else, the sheer amount of Mercury, Neptune aspects that I saw the other day is like bonkers, you know, um, because they're able to express these things. So like, sorry, <laughs> um, not all of them are like, positive of course a lot of them are like quintiles and like trines and sextiles and stuff but like sarah j mass right now i don't know if you know any of her work um i haven't read her books it's the court of thorn and roses lady right yeah and people love it <laughs> i love her stuff i read it yeah yeah i haven't finished the first book yet <laughs> it can get a little like dense i think i made it through mm -hmm. most of the series and then at the very end i was like there's like too many politics, too many names to keep track of. Like it just it got a little dense. I get you. I totally get it. Um, but yeah, her Mercury is in Aries and it is actually square Neptune. Love so it. yeah, that is so cool, you know, and she's like super famous, well known for her works. Granted, her Mercury is in the 10th, but it's, you know, like absolutely so neat to think about. Um but that was way off topic. I'm sorry, but I... Um... Well, no, the, and the last thing I kind of want to say is um, I, I do want to get back to your the, the article, but um, I just wanted to kind of run with something you mentioned where you, you were talking about the dream chooses the dreamer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of artists, it's almost taboo to kind of speak this idea out loud because our culture mm -hmm. is so productivity obsessed but to to really be creative and generative you absolutely need the opposite of that which is like this rest time or this downtime or this completely yes. unstructured like just doing nothing time and I think you know we can look at the accent the polarity of Pisces which is Virgo and Virgo is so like productivity oriented so like doing oriented mm -hmm. um, you know it's it's like craft, it's doing, it's craft, it's working, it's outputting, it's outputting like art, but for practical reasons. Um, but the opposite of that, which you always need in the polarity, um, is this like this time to just do nothing, which is where your brain can reset and like new ideas can come and like your just creativity is replenished. So you're not pushing yourself to burnout. Um, so I think we fear, it, again, in the overculture, we've been taught to, like, anytime we're not being productive, there's automatically a shame associated with that or guilt. 
Um, and I think being feeling lost, like if you can just accept that and allow it is actually like a very like regenerative place to be. Um, and when you come out of that, then your productivity, like it makes up for quote unquote lost time. Um, so I love that. Anyway, let's get back to, (laughs) let's get back to your article. Okay, so I want to do the same thing. I want to read something you wrote that I thought was especially beautiful or especially thought-provoking and then Mm -hmm. just have you kind of expand on it. So you wrote, squares are the glue that bind us together. They teach us how to work with each other. Instead of harmony coming through an easy way, they teach us how to make harmony for ourselves, which arguably is a far greater lesson. Um, So I... I just love that visual of squares kind of being the glue that bind us together. And I want to get back to that in the next question, but um, can you say more about making harmony for ourselves? I love this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just like really being honest with ourselves and being like, what's, what's the issue that I have here. Um, And I think that like, we've talked about the elements and we've talked about the science and squares and the themes. Right. Um, but I think that this is like really spot on for an article that I read recently by Mari Andrew, um, Mari Andrew, um, on her Substack, and it's called, how do I make friends? And she, she's like, I get this question all the time. Um, how do I make friends as an adult? And she's like, well, shit, I don't know. Like, I, you know, and she's like, but I think that my, that's the thing that I love about Mari's work is that she's so radically honest. Um, and in that honesty, I find truth and I find comfort. And she talks about like, yeah, I don't know if you've ever had to work retail, um, but she talks about, yeah, me too. Um, but she talks about how like in the restaurant setting, you have what they call family dinners um now I've never I've worked in a restaurant a few times never once where I had family dinners because I mostly did like McDonald's and I was like a hostess for Olive Garden for like two weeks but I have worked in food service um but she talks about like the idea of like family meals where like all of the staff has to sit together after hours and they just eat dinner you know um and you have to get along with your coworkers. Like you could absolutely freaking hate their guts, but you have to get along with them. And you have to see where your similarities and your differences collide. So like when I, just as an example, when I worked at McDonald's, um, it was a college town and I worked with a high schooler who um, was going to college at the same time, taking college level classes. And he went on to be a intern at NASA. And I also worked with like former inmates and I got along with both of them. Um. (laughs) So, and it's really just like, how can you see like beyond people and beyond, not beyond people, but like beyond their actions and like, how do they define them? How do they not define them? And how can I get along with this person? Even though that like fundamentally, I may think that we have no similarities. We might, you know, um, and we might get on really well as coworkers. Um, you know, even in college, you could look at it as a college setting. Like you may really, really not like your roommate as a friend. 
but you may be really good roommates to each other. <laughs> I know it's typically the other way around. It's like, I love this person as a friend, but like, oh my God, can they pick up the dirty socks? You know, like it's, <laughs> it's also like getting along as a roommate. And, you know, we each have like, for instance, like we have friends who like, we know we're going to be supportive of us and who we love. And then we have friends that we like love to come to for a quick laugh, you know? There are different types of friendships, and I think that that's totally okay in different types of relationships. And I think that this is really evident in the square, is like seeing how we're different, but seeing how we can get along despite that. Um, and I think that that's part of the beauty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. Like letting ourselves be different and still getting along. And that's almost like a paradox. Um And I think there is like a little bit of paradox in, in the square. Um, and that also makes me like, I've heard people call the square, the aspect of like erotic tension. And there is like, it's, there is this, um, to me, the word tolerance sounds like very chill and very platonic. There's this idea of like being tolerant, right? Like you're different, I'm different, but we're going to tolerate each other. We're going to respect each other. But then there's also this idea of like opposites attract, which is a lot more like erotically fraught, which I think the square can also represent in some ways. Um, so I, I love that. I, I think you, the way that you just put it right there is really beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so the next question I wanna ask, I want to like, especially for people who are dabbling with astrology or kind of playing around with their own charts hopefully we can give them some very practical kind of ideas um around when you're looking at a square aspect in your own chart or in someone's chart is there a way to like look at it or is there some tips or tricks for just being able to suss out how do i make harmony out of this particular aspect i think the first clue is like kind of basic and in every self-help book so it may not be insanely helpful um which yeah, is know, yeah, know yourself no, you know yeah. know yourself and know which interpretations don't apply to you you know even if you don't know yourself that well even if you're using astrology as a tool for self-discovery um you don't have to take on everything that you read you know and that's important discernment is important but it's really hard to discern things when you don't have enough knowledge. So we kind of come back to that, like Marie Curie quote in the beginning was like, how do you, how do you even begin to understand things when you don't even know where to look yet? So I think a really easy practice is like, write out the two signs, write out the general keywords, the meanings, the definitions, see what they have in common and see what they don't. Um, and then do the same with the planets. You know, where are these planets finding themselves in my life? So, like, Venus squares Saturn. <laughs> Not a lot of people want to talk about that one. Um, but I, you know, how can I establish more boundaries in my relationships? Do I need to establish more boundaries in my relationships? Do I maybe need to loosen up a little bit? You know? Um, you know, or even, like, are my standards like too low? Should I raise my standards in my relationships for what I need and want out of, you know, love? Um, what are some lessons that I am perhaps putting off 
or ignoring in my relationships? Um, and what are some ways that I can acknowledge them and accept them? Um, you know, and just like Saturn has to do with lessons in that instance, lessons, karma, discipline. Um, you know, even I would say like routine. And then Venus is like love, money, <laughs> um, things of that nature. How can I be more disciplined with my budget or my money, you know? So I think that that's, squares really make you think about that, you know? But yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen a square Saturn. <laughs> I I mean, I love Saturn. I'm very Saturnian. I have a Saturn square in my son. So I, any, I actually find like anywhere Saturn is touching, it feels comforting because I'm like, your rules are clear. Like I understand Saturn, like I understand the rules of the game. Like I understand, you know, like how you want me to show up. Um, right. Other planets can be a little fucking wily, especially <laughs> Neptune, um, Uranus, Neptune, Uranus. I mean, even mm -hmm. Pluto to an extent. But Saturn, I'm just like, you are comforting. Like, <laughs> you are structure. I know what's expected from me. Um, right? In some ways. And I, and I will say, whenever we're talking about sign house or planet, but I want to say planet especially, the archetypal range of how the planet can both express and be experienced is extraordinarily, absolutely vast. So other people may not experience or think about Saturn in this particular way. And I certainly don't all the time. Um, and that is just kind of one way of, and I, I love the words play. I love the words experiment. I love the words try on, like, just try it on. Like, does it work for you? Like play with thinking about Saturn in this way or play with like, you know, this kind of interpretation. Um, Cause I love what you said about discernment. Like if something you don't have to take on every single sentence about your chart that has ever been written and be like, right. oh my God, this is me. Or like, oh my God, I have to find a way to embody this. You don't. Um, because again, like the archetypal landscape is vast. It is going to get specific in you. It is going to get like focused in you. And it may be multiple different archetypal um, expressions, but it certainly isn't going to be the whole landscape of possibility for that archetype. So. Right, right. Like I have um, a client who is Venus opposite Pluto. I see. I guess I'm just a Plutonic person. <laughs> um, Pluto seems to be coming up a lot in the podcast, but she she's like, you know, I think I'm obsessed with my relationships and I'm obsessed about money over love. And I was like, yeah, but like from everything that I've seen of you, you would go to hell and back for those that you love. Like you love so deeply. And that is like the core of your venus opposite pluto to right. me right so it's like it's so interesting how different things to manifest and i'm not trying to like <laughs> um dismiss your experiences it's not what i'm trying to do or rewrite them but like i think that it's important to like flip the narrative again because like when you use astrology to confirm your own self-beliefs that you are a bad person um that is it, like where the issue comes in, you know? Um, so I think that that's really important to consider. How does this actually manifest in my life? And I know for new astrologers and for new astrology students, that's really, really hard to grasp. But I really just encourage you to like try to write it down, to think about it. Because like, again, like what you said, not everything's going to apply, you know?
I do think astrology, it can be used in so many ways. Um, I think it can be very helpful in being like a self-confirmation or self-validation tool where, but a lot of times when we begin to step into self-awareness, we are bringing into consciousness what can be like lower octave patterns. Um, so I love what you said, like to not just get stuck there and think that's the way that we have to be because one of the things that um, I love about modern psychological astrology is there is this idea of evolution. Like you can evolve an aspect or an expression from something that's, you know, maybe not, <laughs> not the, um, I'm going to use higher, higher and lower octave. I don't love that, but nothing mm -hmm. else is coming to mind into yeah. like a more higher octave, more generative um, way of working with that particular placement or that particular aspect or configuration in your chart. Um, so I think one of the roles of an astrologer, and I think you particularly do this really well in your work, is opening up possibility. Like here's like a bunch of other different ways that this aspect can manifest for you and it will continue to be self-appropriate. Um, so try those on, like move into them, play with them. Like it doesn't always have to be this way, like this limiting way in which you've experienced yourself or your life. Um, like things can shift. Obviously you can't just completely override or ignore your birth chart, but a skilled astrologer understands the complexity and the breadth and the depth of the archetype and they can present you like with just this opening up of possibility um mm -hmm. that's still very true to that configuration um which is exactly what you did for your client with venus pluto um yeah um okay cool so i feel like we got to wrap here um you wrote some stuff about chinese astrology and i kind of want to get into that so maybe <laughs> we can close there um this, okay, so I want to go back to this idea of squares being the glue that binds us together. Um, and hopefully this will kind of move us into Chinese astrology a little bit. Um, so I'm curious exactly what you mean by that. Um, it's a beautiful visual. Can you say more? Yes. So um, they squares can be um, a dynamic expression of who they are. They can show how multifaceted we are at our core, right? And how many different ways we can express that because of all the different elements involved. Um, but I think that like, I'll, something that a lot of people get tripped up with is like aspects and like, especially transits, but like aspects are not just like external, they are also internal. And I think that the square shows this really well. Um, and so <laughs> when a lot of people look at the chart, they're like, oh my God, what does my opposition mean? Like, what's wrong with me? And um, they use it to like blame themselves rather than like accepting that like, first of all, that may not be an accurate description, <laughs> um, right? That's again, one of the many archetypes that we've discussed, but like they use it as like, and oh my God, like I, like they use it as a form of self-harm rather than self-acceptance. But I think it's really hard to get to that point with self-acceptance in astrology because a lot of people don't know enough. And it's hard to know enough, right? And it just, um, you get so many different opinions from so many different astrologers, it's hard to know who or what to trust. And unfortunately, I think the only way to find that out is trial and error. 
but um i um think that it's really interesting because like when we use astrology as a tool for self-acceptance right so <laughs> i was looking into chinese astrology <laughs> as one does um there are many different forms of it um i was looking you have into mercury it and i'm gonna in Sag, right huh you have mercury and Sag. it's pisces <laughs> yeah um no it's okay um I've always been interested in Chinese culture. I think it's so interesting. And that being said, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this. I'm sorry. Um, I suck at tones. Um, just I, I, I do not speak it well. Um, and it's really hard to find sources in English. So um, with that being said, I uh, am studying um, a form called Siwe Dashu. And I think that like, I think first of all it's really interesting because it uses like all of the constellations right um but they also <laughs> they have a very different take on things as they should it's a different culture and i think it is so fascinating because um in my western and even in my vedic chart and that's like a little side note i think that all forms of astrology are valid and then when we get into the depths of like, well, which one's the best? Which one's the most accurate? Which one's the, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's like, they're all true. They can, they show us kind of like the squares, how two things can be separate and true at the same time. Um, and so in my Western and even in my Vedic chart, I have Venus in Capricorn. That does not change. Um, in Vedic astrology, it's in the na last nakshakra, which means that like, I may be getting married later, like it's hinted, but like it's not outright confirmed. <laughs> um, and you know, Venus and Capricorn does wait a little bit. It's you know, that's kind of the vibe. <laughs> but in Chinese astrology, I have this star, and again, I'm gonna mispronounce it. I'm so sorry. Um, called Kuasu, and it's in my marriage palace. And that star typically does not hold a lot of what they call, quote unquote, weight, um, except when it's in the marriage palace and like the karma palace, I believe, like the mental palace. So that is when that star really comes to life. So, and I think it's literally, I, I can't remember what it translates to, but I think it's literally called like widow killer or something like it's, <laughs> you know, um, but basically that star in the marriage palace symbolizes a late marriage or like, you know, um, pursuing monkhood or, um, you know, you may never get married. And that is something that in my core, I have kind of felt since I was like kind of little, you know? And so when I read that, I was like, oh my God, thank you god wow. i was like so nothing's wrong with me this is just how i am you know um and i it's confirmed it's here on paper um but i think that it is it's so beautiful to be like um oh my goodness like nothing's wrong with me and i feel understood and i think that like you know and other people may look at that and be like oh my god you're never gonna get married like <laughs> you know like they're going to for them that is not their dream and that is not their goal but like I love the idea of being like the weird aunt <laughs> um but I think that like it just described something that I've always known is kind of a part of myself and that's not a bad thing
you know? And even then, like, when I say older, they mean getting older, getting married when you're older is like 27. <laughs> they don't, like, it could mean like 40. So for those of you who are going to look into your Chinese astrology chart after this, they don't mean it in like, like you're never going to get married. It does symbolize that. It can, it can. But like, for those of you who are now freaking out, um, it it does also mean like past 27, <laughs> you know, um, you're probably, you may not get married before then. So like, don't be, don't be scared if that's always been your dream. <laughs> you may very well get married. But um, for me, that was so validating. But like, when I look at Sun Square Pluto, and I read all of the quite frankly, terrible interpretations of it. I'm like, oh, I don't like that. So, <laughs> you know, it is really interesting. Um, what I hear you saying is mm -hmm. with one configuration in your chart, you read what could be considered a negative interpretation and you chafed against it. And that was Sun Square Pluto. Like it didn't feel true. Mm -hmm. to you. But with another configuration in your natal chart, this like problematic Venus, like marriage situation, you read again, what could be considered a negative interpretation, but it was validating for you. Mm -hmm. um, there's something subtle here that I'm not quite sure I can articulate, but I, I think one of the places where astrology can be really helpful too, is like where there's something in us that isn't aligned with the overculture, where there's something in us that feels monstrous, but also true, or where there's something in us that feels like broken, but also true, astrology can give a lot of relief and spaciousness around it. Um, where, you know, it's not like you're broken, like this is actually how you're meant to be and it's okay, it's very okay. So I think, but also, um, mm -hmm there can be a way where we can take on, like you said, something from an interpretation um, that doesn't give us this sense of like sinking into like, oh yes, like it's okay. Speaking of discernment, I think that can be a great way to know whether or not something is yours to take on. Like what is the resulting feeling? You know, like, do you feel like mm. alive, like seen and spacious? Do you feel like hopeful or does it feel like really like chafing and uncomfortable and like there's a lot of resistance? Um, and that can be for both good and bad aspects. Um, just like, what is that like intuitive feeling in your body before you start thinking about it before you, you know, like, just what does your body do? Does it open? Does it relax or, or does it kind of like resist and close off? Mm. Yeah, I think that that is so important to recognize. Yeah, especially the feelings in your body. Because the body knows. Before the mind knows, the body knows. Um, I'm, I'm very curious about Chinese astrology now, but I, and I, I guess the other thing this is making me think of is a lot of times people really use like Western, modern Western astrology in an extremely universal way. And I think it is important to remember to locate it both culturally and also geographically, because we don't have the same constellations in this hemisphere that people have in other parts of the world. So it like, exactly. um, it, yeah, it's important to not increase the scope over much. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And to always remember like there's there's a cultural bias that like any spiritual practice, any ideology um, is is bringing with it. And it's important to just understand that in case it doesn't apply to you, where you're coming from culturally. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's what like, when you're learning, that's a very good point. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Um, but I think that like, it's super important to recognize that like I feel like a lot of people take culture out of context and I think that especially when you're learning about belief systems and astrology and religion and philosophy you know just culture in general this is you know you have to try to understand the culture you know like that it's so important to not take the astrology out from the culture that it's from you know you have to try to understand that um but yeah, just a side note. Um, okay, cool. Well, you have one more personal anecdote here. Um, it has to do with the cardigan. <laughs> Can you just tell this story and how it relates to, um, I guess, where the cardigan came up was we were talking about squares having something to do with like interdependence and tolerance between two or more people. Um <laughs> Let's get, let's end on this. Let's end on this note. Okay. Um, okay, cool. So, so I think that it is, yeah, (laughs) I think that like, like, okay. So I was at the store the other day and I'm just shopping around. I got my Christmas bonus from the job I just quit and I know I can't afford this store. Right. I'm up in the sales section, the 50% off Christmas stuff. And I cannot afford this cardigan. And I keep looking at it and I keep looking at it and it fits the astrology aesthetic and it's like sequined and black and has moons, stars, and I think it is so pretty. And then I try it on because I'm like, you know what, because I didn't want to leave it there and then always regret it. I wanted to try it on and get it out of my system. So I tried it on and, you know, the worst I could do is be like, oh my God, this is beautiful, fall in love with it and then put it back. And at best I could be like, Oh my God, I hate it, you know? (laughs) So there's always that chance. So I try it on and like, it's a really good thing that I did because I look terrible. I looked like, um, we have this Google doc where she asked me the questions that I kind of answered to get my head straight. And I looked like a wizard from this like low budget movie film. Like, oh, may the stars align with you. Like I look- Like cloak, crazy, yeah. Crazy. And, like, what I wanted was not what I wanted at all. And I think that, like, you have to let yourself fight it out sometimes. And I think you have to let people fight it out sometimes in order to come to a place of understanding. Like, sometimes when you're in an argument, emotions run really high, for example. And you're, like, screaming and yelling. And you just, like, well, you know what? And you say something you don't mean. And the other person's like, oh, yeah, (laughs) like, bite me, (laughs) like, try me. And in some ways, okay, not to say the arguments are beautiful, but I I think that, like, I think arguments are beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in some ways, like, the truth comes out in an argument. And with that truth, had I never tried on that cardigan, I would not know the truth that I look like a fool in it. But like the truth came out, you know, and I was like, oh, this is disgusting. I hate it. Like, <laughs> um, 
but I think that like it's so important just to like like you said try it on try it out if it doesn't work it doesn't work but yeah Oh my gosh. Um, I love this idea of how sometimes the only way to get to your resolution is through a fight. Um, and, well, this is interesting, right? Cause to me, this is constellating Aries Libra a little bit. Like Libra always wants things to be like diplomatic, to be talked out calmly. Um, Libra is always looking for a resolution, but there's also a way where we can just get kind of stuck with Libra because it's like a little too passive, a little too open to like different perspectives can kind of go and start going in circles. Um, and sometimes like this, just like direct, honest, raw, impulsive conflict can actually get us to where we need to be. Um, not saying it's better or worse, but I love <laughs> this idea that like, sometimes like, you know, I think you put it really beautifully. We do have to kind of fight it out a little bit to get to the resolution. Um, and that is something definitely, you know, I, I think I can muse on and I can see some truth there and, mm. and also hear all the haters being like, oh my God, don't espouse the, you know, like don't espouse violence or like, but I, I don't, I don't think that's what we're saying. I think there's something much more sophisticated and subtle there. Mm. And I love that. Cool. Yeah, we've been talking for a while. I, think, I do think we need to wrap. I do think this was a lovely conversation. There's a lot for people to take away from it. Um, and we should probably definitely talk again because we clearly have a lot to say. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. They're so fun. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I had a great time. Thanks again for the conversation, Abby. If you're interested in learning more about Abby and her work, her website is nofearastrology.com, where you can sign up for her exclusive newsletter with premium content and get more info about booking with her. You can find more of her work on the Mountain Astrologer blog and Astro app, and you can follow her page on Facebook. It's called No Fear Astrology. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a quick review, subscribing to the show, or sharing it with your friends. This is a beautiful reciprocity and generosity practice for yourself, as well as a way to support content and podcasters like myself that you enjoy. All the contact info and relevant details for today's show can be found in the show notes. Bye for now and sending you lots of love.